Hey, what's good, folks? This is Jordan. This episode, though it discusses important topics that aren't necessarily graphic in nature, may have subject matter that could be sensitive for certain listeners. Some discretion is advised. What? You knew this was coming. I mean, what do we always say? You know, that we're willing to boldly go. And y'all know the rest. Enjoy, peoples. This episode of Eye to Eye is brought to you by the following. On the energetic anthem, All the Way, legendless Ishan Burgundy and producer Kardec drums to inspire believers in Christ to go the full distance in life and faith. All the Way has an anthem-style vibe to move us forward during these tough times and to tell us we all can make it. Stream and share All the Way on your favorite platform today and follow Legend and Ishan Burgundy on all the socials. They looking at us like an angel species, but it's a pillar. See, we the new normal, forget what you heard of, whatever you hearing. Please know the difference between what is true and what is your feelings. We've been here, listen, all the way. Check. One, two, one, two. Well, this is a very different way to start. Ladies and what? <laughs> that's usually what you jump right into. The let ladies. Me, uh, look, let me do what I do, man. Dagnabbit. But that's I told not you. what you do. <sighs> you just literally didn't do what you do. I know, I know, but I told you this. Whatever. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest uh, and greatest episode of Eye to Eye, short for Inspired to Inspire, the podcast that's all about open and honest, real conversations about life and faith. And of course, you know, as always, we are willing to boldly go where most folks ain't trying to. And tonight, surprise, is going to be no different. Um, we are honored uh, to have a very special guest who we will introduce in just one second. But of course, my name is Jordan. My name is Devin. Uh, Justice is hanging out with family tonight because apparently family is better than this podcast, but whatever, we ain't salty or nothing like that. Um, Devin, how you doing, bro? I'm good. I'm good. You know, things last week were slowly getting back to normal as far as my my work life. Uh-huh. Uh, the children are still the children. Uh-huh. And... I am more terrified going into stores because <laughs> people hate masks and science. Um, but, you know, what can you do? <laughs> uh, you know, you can wear your own mask and you can bring mm -hmm. those little tiny, you've seen the little tiny Lysol cans that you can like stealth yeah. spray, like ninja spray folk. Oh, wh what? why would I want to do that? Because it's that necessary. sounds like assault. It's not assault. It's a can. Mm. Yeah, but we see police officers use cans and they're assaulting peaceful protesters on but, the regular. But we're keeping things clean. Mm -hmm. They would say that they think the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say that if I don't end up with the virus after what happened uh, a week ago, I think it was a week ago, 
a friend of mine asked me to go to, I, I do not have a political affiliation, you know this, um, but they asked me to go vote for the Virginia Beach Hampton Roads GOP leader. Oh, I, I saw that, yeah. And this place, they utterly hated science because they had, they had tape on the floor, the six feet apart tape, and nobody cared. Like, it was just people stacked on top of each other. A third of the room were wearing masks. Their masks were red with white text. I won't go any further details. <laughs> it was, and I'm like, first of all. We're getting a head shake from our guest already. I don't know. I'm like, first of all, don't put me in a room with these, with these people. Um, and specifically not during a pandemic. But I did it anyway. Because apparently the two people who were running... Uh, one is a, a black man who is all for progress and change, and one is not. <laughs> so uh -huh. I felt, even though I don't align politically with the GOP, that at least change in any type of leadership is good. Uh, so I went ahead and did it. And then turns out I got a text the next day that said they goofed a bunch of stuff up and it the election didn't count. <laughs> so... Yeah, that was a great night. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we have a very special guest. Yeah. So, oh, wow. I mean, you asked. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I usually do. Maybe I just shouldn't If you ask didn't ask, I would just anymore. be quiet. I, I, okay, that's good. That's not true. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. We're, yeah focus is, yeah, we're, we're back in Jesus' name. All right, cool. Uh, so we are honored. Uh, to have a very special guest with us this evening, and we'll let her tell uh, y'all about her in just a second. Uh, but first, I guess she needs a name. That's a good idea. Uh, so we'll do that. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing to you the wonderful, uh, the righteous, the anointed, Ms. Christy Lauren Adams. Christy, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm just like a sleigh ride into bedtime. <laughs> yeah, I got my pillow behind me. Like, all right, that's great. You read a you read a sleigh in July. <laughs> I mean, they do say Christmas in July. I just yeah. I love how she like completely diminished. I didn't say demolished my introduction of her though. She's like, yeah, I'm I'm ready to go to bed. Mm -hmm. I'm like Christy Lauren. <laughs> yeah. I'm not there yet. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I know. I'm, I have my boost of energy reserved okay. specifically for this conversation. Ah, sweet, <laughs> she encapsulated sweet. how I feel during most podcast recordings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do well. That's usually at the end of the night, though, right? That's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, when we try and go night night. Mm -hmm. I've said it on the fourth podcast yep, in a row. You have night night. Let's yeah. go. Regular Joe DiMaggio over here. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so. Uh, Lauren, first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Content, accepting sort of where we're, where we're at in the world right now. You know, there's different stages, you know, where we, where we have been since everything started. And yeah. I think in the beginning, a lot of us were emotionally, uh, you know, one way, one day, another day, you know, another <laughs> way, another day. I don't think I'm going through those same emotional moods like I was. You know, I, I noticed that the other day. I'm pretty, like, stable. <laughs> um, I don't know what stage this is. I don't know if it's, like... Acceptance? Stage. I think yeah. it's acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance. I mean, Major the, grief. Isn't that, like, right. what, what stage is acceptance? It's toward the end. Okay. It, uh, Even though I feel like we're starting over. <laughs> yeah, well, it cycles. Yeah. It's like, uh -huh. yeah. 
Oh my gosh. And you're, you're so you're in uh Pennsy right now? Uh PA? Um I'm in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And how how's the the climate up there? You know, I don't spend a whole lot of time in Pennsylvania. I go back and forth between New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Okay. Um Pennsylvania because I because I work at a boarding school. I live at a boarding school and work here. Everything is like here for us. Um, and then, you know, when I'm, when I'm not here, it's, you know, stopping at the grocery store or something like that, but I don't do a whole lot in the area. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can speak more to Jersey since that's where I've been during the quarantine and, um, everybody's pretty compliant, even though there are sections of Jersey that are, uh, (laughs) are the opposite. You don't say. (laughs) Right. Um, but those aren't sections that I live anywhere near. You know, I'm on the New York side of okay. Jersey, mm-hmm. Central Jersey. So like 50 minutes outside of this New York City mm-hmm. and then another hour from Philly. So I'm sort of right in the middle. Uh, um, and everybody seems to be pretty compliant. I don't I haven't gone anywhere where people were not wearing masks or where people were, you know, not were being intentionally defiant with the with the rules. I, I just see a lot of that on TV. <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of that on TV too. And it's it's crazy. I've I've actually been somewhat impressed around our area because most of the time I go out, people seem to be wearing masks and, and things. But you know, our governor mandated it what a month or two ago. Um now you're seeing it more of a, a nationwide mandate. You're seeing more stores accept it as a nation uh wide you know, thing. I was about to say, <laughs> yes. didn't well. Governor Kim just decide he's is he suing? He's suing the mayor. That's oh, what I read. Atlanta? Yeah. I mean, well, she's a black woman. How dare she make a decision? Unbelievable. <laughs> I feel like that's something we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh, by the way. Yeah. What do you do? Christy, yeah. Tell us about you. Living? Yeah. Not just where you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, here at the Hill, I'm the chaplain of the school. It, I, the reason why I say it like that is because there's so many other things that I've done that seems to have like suffocated the chaplain role. Uh, <laughs> But so I, I, whenever anybody asks, I'm like, I'm the chaplain of the school. Like, I have to keep saying it. Um, almost like I'm convincing myself. But that's what my job is. <laughs> um, I'm a religious studies uh, faculty here, which um, we talked about a little bit earlier. And I teach four sections of three of religion and film and one a class called Religious Radicals. Ooh, um, you didn't say nothing about that one. Hold on. Well, that's my fault. I got all excited on the film. I was like a dog with a bone as no. soon as I heard the film studies. She's a double friend. It's, yeah. The religion and film class is, is a, I teach three sections of that class and oh. one of the religious radicals. So the religion and film is the one that the students come to. I get a lot of students drop the class the first week because, you know, they come in and think they're just going to watch TV and that's it. Mm. Um, they're like, we have to do work. I'm like, are you kidding? Um, so <laughs> Am I too I, old I, to go to this boarding school and take your class? <laughs> All right. You can you can now you can do anything virtually. Yes. <laughs> but um, but I always go in and just tell them like, listen, if you're here because you think we're just gonna be watching TV, you can leave. So they they want to go on. Um, but I'm interim director of diversity, equity, and inclusion here too, and that's oh why. Uh, and then I'm a dorm parent. So there's like a few things that happen that are like all these jobs. And then, so then the chaplain role and the spiritual life role, I'm like, have, I'm like fighting for it. And it's my role. <laughs> I feel like your purse must be full of business cards because of all the different titles. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, my, um, what do you call it? The little thing that yeah. you wear, like yeah. during parent weekend or orientation. Yeah. It's just full. Like, 
<laughs> so hopefully they, they will be put doing a search for a full-time uh, diversity person soon. So as, as most organizations are right now. Um, so I do do that for my job. And then, um, you know, my career outside of that space just really just started to be this writing thing. Um, I used to like blog and do writing here and there, but um, the my first published book was pa- is Parable to Brown Girl, and that's the most recent um, book that uh, that I've been going around and having conversations about um, virtual book touring and things like that. Um, so that's and and that is the work that I feel like I'm called to is uh, to empower Black girls, Black women and girls, but mainly young Black girls. Mm-hmm. And I try to do that through writing. I had a conference called the Becoming Conference that I started uh, in 2017. It was just a one-day conference for girls of color. We were supposed to have our retreat this week, July 13th through set through 15th, um, that I was planning for all year. But obviously, we didn't have that. But, um, but that was that. That has been my reflection this week. Where I've been like, what would we have been doing today? Yeah. <laughs> 2020, real fun times. <laughs> I guess that's that's the theme. There you go. Because we've been trying to say... Oh, tw- yeah. That's a yeah. great t-shirt. Real yeah. fun times. Real 2020. fun times. Yeah. 2020 is the best year. 2020 is the, fir- the worst year. So yeah. 2020 is just real fun times. Uh, what we wanted to do tonight was uh, we just wanted to have an organic conversation about the book. Um, ask you a few questions and just... Uh, let it go where it needs to go. I feel like the common purpose of a book like this is to expose and to educate. Um, obviously, uh, in the current climate, uh, in consideration of the the most controversial yet most supported statement in the United States of America, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be done. Um, and outside of, uh, of, of Devin here, who is more woke than maybe even me? I don't know. Um, well, I'm just I'm just saying. You know, I think he's got more Kaepernick shirts than I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I, I feel like uh, this book gives a certain type of lens that America, and specifically, of course, American Christians and American Christianity need to see, uh, because there's no way that they can get the vivid illustration that you provide without reading a book like this, unless they have a beautiful young black or brown skinned girl in their world to have these conversations with. And even to that extent, uh, one of the things that I will commend you on before we even get started is the ability to uh, create and sustain the relationships that you did enough to produce a book like this. Uh, Because in the grand scheme of things, I recall being a college advisor for 10 years uh, for a nonprofit organization and developing what I would even now consider family members. I mean, I tout it all the time. I just uh, posted a story on Insta this week about uh, one of my daughters, I got air quotes up here, whom I walked down the aisle because I do consider her my child, even though I didn't birth her. Mm-hmm. And all of that came from developing a relationship with her when she was in high school uh, that has now blossomed into something totally different. So, you know, I, I've related to this book on so many levels because of that alone. And then just uh, what you were able to do and, you know, just an overview of the book is uh, for you people out there. Um, there's a lot of introspective conversation with young girls. There are a lot of beautiful and amazing and sometimes very, very painful history lessons 
And then there is um, uh, a theological synergy in the end where she kind of ties everything together. And I just uh, really wanted to advocate for this book because I feel like it is an excellent opportunity for people to pick up on not just the black experience or the black Christian experience, but also the experience of the black Christian woman uh, in this season, because especially myself being married to an amazing and a beautiful black woman, I know how undersold their story is. And it's an incredible story. So, I mean, maybe I'm biased, maybe I'm not biased, maybe I'm just right. Uh, but, you know, I feel like this is that opportunity. So, uh, so yeah, I think that uh, I would dive in and I'll, I'll start by asking what might even be the trickiest question initially. Um, and we can kind of name them off. Uh, but which brown girl was the toughest to discuss? And when I say that, for you guys who don't know, in the book, um, every chapter addresses a certain type of brown girl. So we got the weak brown girl, the insecure brown girl, the voiceless brown girl. Um, and I think the insecure brown girl is the one that's so necessary right now in this season. Uh, you could talk about that, of course. We, 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 we tossing you lobs tonight because ball is life. Uh, the fast brown girl, alienated brown girl, the angry brown girl, and the white acting brown girl. And some people have probably never even heard of stuff like this before. So now my first question to you is, which one was the most difficult? Why? It's a great question. I, I was actually expecting you to ask what everyone else asks, was, which is, which one is the one you can relate to the most? And I'm always like, <laughs> I mean, I guess all of them. Uh, which one was the most difficult to write? All right. So it might be a little bit of a tie. I have to talk this out. The angry brown girl, I I, I still, I is very present to me. Okay. I can see her face. I can see all their faces, but I can really see hers. I think it's because, and I was just talking to my best friend about this, about how I'm like an empath. You know, I always, I can relate to being an empath because I feel... And the angry brown girl, um, I see her and I just, I'm mad for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I know her, I know her story. Um, and I'm mad, I'm mad for all of them. You know what I mean? Um, and sort of sad for all of them. The first, the first girl, the, uh, that wasn't the insecure. The first one was the weak brown girl. And she had asked the question, um, you know, why did God make me a warrior when I'm really just weak? And yeah, I was really yeah. sad for her, but also that was a really pertinent question for myself. But I wouldn't necessarily, it was difficult. Whereas the other, the angry brown girl was not difficult, but I'm still pretty angry for her. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be this way. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and there was an incident that happened after I wrote the book um, when uh, this past fall where she was, um, her her dad posted on Instagram, he was upset because she was running for pre- school president, SGA president or something, and was told that she couldn't run. Um, now, when I saw her previously to that, she was at a funeral, her grandmother's funeral, great-grandmother's, some grandmother's funeral. And I said to her, asked her how she was doing, and she came up to me, ran, gave me a hug. I'm doing so well. I'm on the honor roll. She couldn't wait to tell me, you know. Um, I'm going to run for class president, hmm. you know? Um, and so I was just like, wow, I love hearing her story. And um, and so when I heard that she couldn't run um, and was told, I saw her post 
online, a you know, picture of her putting signs up and all that. And then heard how angry she was as a result and, and hurt and how she sort of reverted, it seems like, mm. in behavior because yeah. of that. I was pissed to the <laughs> heavens. Okay? Why was she told she couldn't run? Because based off of her behavior last year. Okay. And I said, well, was that in, because you know, I emailed the principal. We had a conversation all the way in Pennsylvania. This was Jersey, girl. I'm in Pennsylvania at my job in between classes, like, <laughs> sending the email. And, um, and I, the principal called me and, uh, and I said, is it, was it stated when, before she ran or when she ran that based off of her behavior last year? That she, you know, or whoever, that she couldn't. It, is it written somewhere? Did you have this conversation with her before she was hanging up posters and decided to run? <laughs> right. Like, these are the things that, you know, that, there was no real reason. It was just they were concerned. And I'm just like, so you tell this girl that she can't. And then she gets angry again, you know, so she said, you know, she even pulled away from me in the hall when I, when I, when I stopped her. I said I wanted to talk to her. She pulled away from me. And you know, I was, I was afraid this was going to happen. I'm like, you embarrassed her. Right. <laughs> she don't like you. Right. Wow. <laughs> like, of course she's going to be mad. Anyway, long. That's a, that's a story. But my blood still boils when I. She was eventually able to run. Um, oh, cool. But just the circumstances. But I mean, but we had to pull out all stops or sure. Dad or stepmom or mom, everybody, they're having meetings. And then the principal, finally, we had a second conversation and she said, um, you know, we, we allow her to run. Um, you know, I was so impressed with her. We called her into the room. We asked her, you know, why do you want to run? They started asking all these questions and she was able to articulate so well. But my issue was, why does she have to qualify? Like, the, she's a child and she had to go in there. This is like a 14 year old at the time. Right. 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 And uh, or 13. That 13. She wasn't even 14. And answer all your questions as to why she, you know, when no one else has to do that. She's been on the honor roll. You've seen a change in her behavior. Right. You should have just left it alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> You should be rewarding progress. I, I wouldn't treat my son differently at five because, well, when you were four, you were still potty training. Like, I mean, right. what the heck? Like, right. there's progress being seen. You need to support and promote that. Exactly. Yeah. And it makes my blood boil because... Going back to current events, there's that, that the new story about the 15 year old girl named Grace, right? Um, who is what in jail or not jail, juvie or wherever she is right now because she didn't complete her homework assignments, and I guess she was already sort of on a probation for hitting her mom or something like that. She hit her mom a while ago. I don't know something like that or stole a girl's cell phone, whatever it is. Um, you know, she was supposed to you know stay on top of her schoolwork. She wasn't able to, she didn't do that during virtual, the virtual, uh, she has ADHD. And so the judge decides, oh, put her in jail. Great idea. Seems, seems like that'll, that'll fix it. <laughs> right. Th these are the same types of girls. That's what I mean. I could see the girl, the angry brown girl being the same girl in this, uh, in this position, this girl, Grace. That's so actually... it just makes me angry. It's the chapter I spent the most time in because oh, I, yeah? I feel like it's the one that's most prevalent right now because you turn on the TV and you see a lot of angry mm. brown girls mm -hmm. uh, and for very justifiable reasons. Mm. And so I wanted to ask, because I think it's fascinating. I tried to see, it looks like you, did you write the book at the end of last year? Uh, I wrote the book. I started it September, 2018. Okay. And finished, finished 
like final final was May. So it took about nine months or so. Okay. So May 2019. Mm -hmm. So you finish up the book. Could you have possibly imagined that a year from that moment, we'd be having these societal and cultural conversations that brings this type of, of book and this type of subject right into the forefront of things that people are kind of clamoring for to understand. You know what? Let's, we can go back to February 4th, 2020, when the book came out. Yeah. Because I had no idea just a few months ago. And when the pandemic happened, it cut off a lot of the opportunities to travel and, you know, that we were talking about earlier and speak and, you know, do book tours. And I had to really come to terms with like, mm, well, I guess it is what it is. Oh, <laughs> you know what yeah, that, that's, like, that would be terrible. <laughs> um, and so there were like things that came up, but it wound up being like, it was just bittersweet. If anybody like sent me a tweet about it or whatever, it was always like, oh, thanks so much. You know, it was just a reminder <laughs> that I wasn't going to Essence Fest, you know, or <laughs> a reminder that uh. you know, these things weren't happening. So I had no idea even in February. I mean, you couldn't have even... I had no clue that, that that these things were going to take place. And have you seen a, a change since then as far as people wanting to now, you know, pick your brain and read the material and, and really have these conversations? Because people are, I mean, we're seeing in our own world, people that both of us have talked to for years yep. are going you know all that stuff you've been talking to us about for years? <laughs> <laughs> I really want to talk about that yeah. now. And is, is that okay? Yeah, and we've seen some, sure, some sure. radical changes in people where now they're, they're not just people who are sympathetic or empathetic. They're advocates for change and driving change. And that's, I mean, that's, what, that's all you can really hope for, right? Yeah, people have woke, uh, they, they have woken up to an extent. I don't know how long it's going to be. Um, like some, yeah. you know, some, some will, it will sustain and then some it'll, you know, it'll fade away until, oh, sure. Whenever. Yeah. Um, but I had no idea that this, this is just a different type of, um, happening whatever God was doing with yeah. the whole thing, you know, mm-hmm. just, it, I, I didn't expect it, but it's just, it's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different no. Than what, you know, the God's plans are higher than our plans. Every time. I mean, I just think back to, you know, when I really started thinking about things was like during the Kaepernick kneeling and things like that. And I'm like, man, this is, I really changed my mind on, I used to growing up, you'd be like annoyed, you know, you'd be watching the Oscars and people would be throwing out their political <laughs> statements or you'd be yeah. watching, you know, somebody <laughs> accept something in there. And it's like, well, you just, just take your award and get off the stage. You know, I don't need to hear how much you hate Bush, like whatever it is. And, <laughs> and now you're like, preach Joaquin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I really wish Sean Penn would win again. Joaquin. Uh, <laughs> it's all about Joaquin. Yeah. Wa- Joaquin is all over the place, but it, it's definitely interesting. Wow, he's wow. Right. He's all over, but he puts it out there. But now I look at it and I'm like, you, you almost have a responsibility when you've earned a platform to say whatever it is that you feel called to say. And that doesn't mean I have to agree with it, but I still have to respect the fact that when given the opportunity, your conviction is strong enough to where you're willing to put things out there. And I think people just don't do that enough because it's going to cost too much. And the one thing that a lot of people who, you know, jumped on Kaepernick didn't really, they don't think it cost him anything. It's like, are you kidding me? They justify it and they, well, he was a bad quarterback anyway. And it's like, huh? Uh, still. Okay, whatever you say. Oh, well, Nike just paid him to do all that. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. Um, And so 
it's it's crazy seeing how many people were so against that and how polarizing it was and the lines were clearly drawn. And now what's going on, you know, three years later, that line got dramatically moved in one direction. And I would have never thought we'd get a line drawn like that far that quickly. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be people that, you know, stay on that side of the line or people that cross to this side and then go back to the other. Um, but I, I do think that you're right. This does feel different. And it feels different because there's a lot more white faces out there. <laughs> yeah, I saw um, as I'm preparing, I'm prepared because my religious radical class is new. So as I'm preparing and we're, we're reading, we're going to be reading a lot about civil disobedience and civil, civil resistance. Come on. And I was watching, I've been watching again Selma over and over again, mm. um, watching King in the Wilderness. But Selma, I watched this past weekend again, <clears throat> watched it through a different lens, of course, your movie buff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you do remember distinctly that it wasn't until they were all on TV the first time they tried to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And the CBS journalists um, really did such a fantastic job of like, uh, because they didn't have the access to, you know, the, the types of communication that we have of describing what was taking place. And I love how Ava DuVernay, you know, just like showed the faces, like the, the, the B-roll, like the other footage of like, you know, um, of like some, like the white woman, like sitting on the couch with her husband. And she was like, oh my God, you know? <laughs> and so you see all these people and then they joined in um, when King was like, come on down now. You see what's happening down here in Selma. Yeah. Come on down here. I don't care what race, ethnicity you are. Come in and join the fight. Then they join it and it, it, draw, it drew more attention, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's very reminiscent of that time. It's also weird how even though it's a, a polar opposite situation where one's inspiring and one's angering, but if we don't have Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd on tape, this doesn't happen the same yeah. way. Like people yeah. visually have to come to the table and see what's going on. And yeah, like you said, I mean, even seeing something on film, it's like, whoa, this is, this is different now. People just don't have that ability to imagine you know, what's going on when they read a news story or, you know, they, for whatever reason, they're just not put there. Yeah, I think that that's one of the biggest pieces. Um, in our current state, I don't know, I, I try not to be mean to people when I explain to them that what you see is not always what you get um, until you finally see something that you probably didn't want to see because then things become a little too real. Um, and, you know, we've been having these conversations about, uh, echo chambers and what I will now call uh, environmental absolutism. That sounds fun uh, because of course it makes a hundred percent sense when that's all that you've learned in your environment and that's what you want to put forth. And so I think that's one of the difficulties of, of being able to get a true gauge on who comprehends what, because I think that it will be foolish for anybody to think that black lives don't matter, but you know, then there are so many different nuances and, and layers for people as to why they are uncomfortable with that statement. And now I understand that. And that's okay, to be perfectly honest with you. It just means we have to provide a different illustration for them to, to help them to, to see that and to get it because there are so many different misconceptions. And there's a lot of misconceptions about Black folk in general. We all know that. There are a lot of stereotypes. Some of them, unfortunately, are very, very true. But, you know, what can you do about it? I mean, and when it comes down to it, yeah, I love some fried chicken, whatever. Um... <laughs> But I love how in the book also you illuminate 
some stereotypes as well. And I think one that specifically spoke to to my heart as I pray that, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm never the father of a, a black or brown-skinned daughter because, A, I think I'd just go to jail immediately uh, for killing the next one-year-old that looks at her. Um, <laughs> and then, B, because of some of the things that they have to go through, some of the stigma. Um, I want you to tell the story or... What was the fascination with you concerning Sarah Bartman? Um, explain who she was. And I, I definitely want to talk about her because I think that the developed stereotype surrounding her, can't remember exactly how far, how long ago that was, but um, how it still has some significance. So she died in 1816. I don't know when she was born, but she died in 1816. Um, and her, her remains weren't even buried until 2002. But she was a, a, a Khoi Khoi woman from, uh, and that was her, I think, her village, her tribe from South Africa, who uh, was an African woman and whose shape, I, I wish we this could have been a picture book, but she had a shapely figure. And, uh, and so the, some colonizers uh, came into the village and um, saw her and was fascinated with her body type. She was kidnapped. Um, and they say, they say kidnapped. I'm not sure how she was like lured, you know, promised something, lured somehow. But, you know, we, we have gone as far as history now as to say like she was kidnapped, taken to, I believe it was France um, and um, toward other parts of Europe with a, a circus. They put her basically in a circus um, and put her body on display because they were so fascinated with her and she was in chains. And for those who haven't quite gotten it yet, it's because she had a, a very interestingly sized rear end. Yeah, she had a voluptuous body. It was yeah. her. It was her rear end, but also her her breast area. You know, just her body in general was not the proportion that we, you know, the Western proportion that we're sort of used to, right? Leave it to the French, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, and I don't know if that's who. Because it was Paris and London that she was put on uh, dis- display in these exhibitions and these freak shows out there. Um, and uh, here's this 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 quote that I just wanted to read. So the the European press they they named her Hot and Top Venus, and that was her name all throughout history until people um, started you know not rewriting history but um, right uncovering history. Yeah, right, right, Lord. uncovering it. Her name is Sarah Bartman. Um, But it says when this is what the European press said, when ordered to do so, she leaves her cage and parades before the audience who seems fascinated with what they see as her most intriguing figure, her butt, her buttocks. Some in the audience are not content to merely look. One eyewitness recounts with horror how Bartman endures poking and prodding as people try to ascertain for themselves whether her buttocks are real. And so she on the side to get more money. Um, turned to prostitution. She became an alcoholic. I mean, all those things, right, as as that happened as a result that we would look at in society now and say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I can't believe she's a prostitute. <laughs> um, and then when she died, they dissected her and put her um, body parts, uh, well, pretty much her, her body parts they took and put on display. Um, and so that's why they say her remains um, were finally returned to South Africa in 2002 where she was buried. They were put her 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 brain, her genitals were placed in jars and put on display in a museum. Even in death, she continued to be humiliated and exploited. 
That is a special kind of evil. <laughs> wow. And one example. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just, um, I'm sorry I didn't. Yeah, I did. I wanted you to tell that story, but I just I um I think it's a very valid point and it speaks to the understanding of the of the oversexualization of young black women. And of course the name of the chapter was the fast brown girl, F A S S to fast. I'm just which is good. Um <laughs> you can say nasty, so whatever. Uh but you know, but I I I do understand that and it, it's crazy to think about that. And I, that is why I don't have that many fears in, in my life right now. But if, if I could be perfectly honest with you, if I have one fear, it is having an African-American or a black daughter. Um, and it's for that reason. It, that's not the only reason, but it is for that reason. The, their voice is so undervalued. Um, the, they have to do three times the amount of work to get a third of the results in society. Um, you know, my heart breaks for that. My heart breaks for my wife on some stuff that, you know, I probably couldn't get into because somebody listening might know about situations. Um, but that is the one that scares me the most is the fact that you can be an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old girl. And because of the quote unquote overdevelopment of your body, which isn't overdevelopment, it's just how God made you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be seen as something that would be automatically assumed as 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 fast or immediately ready for sexual activity or wanting or willing to uh, be engaged in sexual activity at such a young age. That is that's disturbing that somebody would even think like that. I mean, I get it. A young kid going through puberty, that's a totally different ball game. And and I would still kill them too. But nonetheless though, like what, you know, speak to, you know, your your study of that and the development of the mindset that even leads to somebody thinking that that's okay. I mean, one of the things I tried to do in that chapter was to, in, in all the chapters, is to highlight the contemporary issue that you see in this young girl and then go back to history culturally as to some of the roots. So I can't really say I know exactly where everything's coming from, but I tried to go back far enough to use examples that say, look, this ju- this isn't just specific to this one girl in 2018 or, you know, it's not just in her head. This is stuff that's been following Black black women and girls for centuries. Yeah. So I try to go back to like, you know, 1619, as far as back as 1619, yeah. right? Um, and so with that particular topic, it was important to highlight how, how like I just said, how this has been happening and how... Um, that hypersexualization started in in slavery when black women were seen as like beasts and animals sexua- sexually mm-hmm. um just because they were unfamiliar to their white counterparts and just different had a different that's why people say like femininity is a western construct mm. um because um black women have not not been traditionally historically seen as feminine um, and or ladylike, right? So they always say ladylike is like a Western construct. And that's because femininity and what it means to be a woman in Black and African culture was different and not familiar to Western culture. And so as a result, bringing us on over here to this culture and then saying, oh, well, that's not, that's not woman. That's not what a woman does. 
And so, you know, when they're not behaving as such, black, when they were observing them, um, then they say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's um, animal-like or whatever, because it was different and it wasn't something that was familiar to them. So these labels started early on um, because um, we were, you know, stripped from our culture and our being, and it's not essentially who, who we were. So as a result, they, they gave us these labels because it's not familiar and it seems off to them. And then they say, oh, well, you know, they're hyper- hypersexual or whatever. Um, and then that, that the hypersexual thing, too, was also used to justify the rape of plantation owners and white men right. or whatever when they would right. be attracted to black women, um, you know, and they hated themselves for being attracted to these black women. <laughs> and so um, they would, you know, rape them or whatever. And uh, to justify the rape, it was to say, oh, well, they asked for it, right? Where that's how Black, that's how those women are. And so those types of things have followed Black women and girls for, for that's that's why I mentioned those, Sarah Bartman. That's why I mentioned those types yeah. of things. Because even though you might not be, people might not be thinking that right now, those exact terms, there's spiritually, you know, there's a there's a history to it that that follows if we don't, if we don't break that, I guess, generational curse, so to speak. This episode of Eye to Eye is brought to you by Janique Locks. If you're looking to get started, there's no better place. She specializes in all kinds. Dreadlocks, micro locks, sister locks, lock extensions, instant locks, interlocking, and more. If you're in the 757, please don't hesitate to contact her. You can find her on Instagram at Janique Locks. That's G-E-N-I-Q-U-E-L-O-C-S, Janique Locks. Or you can find her at her website, JaniqueLocks.com. Janique Locks, where locks are envied. All right, let's go ahead and start this podcast, man. Mm. Well, there was a, a pretty big movement uh, a couple years ago in the Me Too realm mm. that really highlighted just the way women are treated kind of in general by people in positions of power and you know, you still hear to this day, you know, people justifying assault with, well, where were they? You know, oh, how did they dress? Oh, well, they went somewhere, but they were by themselves. Like, none of those things justify anything. We still have that in our in our society, this weird justification of how men can somehow rationalize the treatment of women. And, you know, to Jordan's point, I have two sons and, and thank goodness, because I'm the same way. Like, I would just be, I'd be terrified. I would have a hard time sleeping every night raising uh, a daughter just because women just are, oh my gosh, men, men are awful. Yeah. It's just, it's, <laughs> and, and society just doesn't give women at all the, the fair shake or the empowerment that they deserve and, and the equality that even biblically that they, they garner. Yeah. Yeah. And there are layers to it. Uh, especially with the, when we talk about intersectionality. And so what these young girls that I've wrote about have to deal with is patriarchy and racism. They have to deal with those layers on top of layers. And yeah. that's why I put in the book about the R. Kelly um, trial. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was going to wonder. I was wondering if you were going to say something about that. Yeah. The juror, the juror who said, I just didn't believe them because of how they looked. <sighs> I mean, that stood out to me out of everything that was said. And whatever many, you know, episodes there were, four or five or whatever it might be, the juror that basically said, because they were Black women, I just didn't believe them. And that's why his first trial, he got off. 
And what's crazy is there's still people in our society who don't believe that this it's systemic. <laughs> and and meanwhile, it's like this stuff is systemic because there are still way more people than you give credit who believe those things or think that way. It's just it's just factual whether you want to think it is or not. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I've read far too many news stories and or books where the justification is, well, I just thought this because of that. And it's a theme that we need to eradicate from our society. And <laughs> Lord willing, we'll be able to. Yeah. Yep. Well, I wanted to see if you would be willing. Well, first of all, before we go any further, uh, did we have a white people be wondering? Oh, <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a new segment that I came up with um, last episode. I think what's going on kind of in our society right now is for years, for generations, the black community has been saying, we just want you to listen. Like we want to have these conversations and we need people to be open and come alongside of us. And so I told Jordan, who's uh, not completely exhausted from these conversations, but is, <laughs> you know, getting there. Um, I said, well, you know, if white people are going to be involved in these conversations, they're going to have questions too. And so I came up with a segment called White Folk Wonder. Uh, where, <laughs> where trademark that. Yeah, where, where <laughs> basically, you know, I can, I've been asking other white friends, like, hey, what kind of questions do you have? Fortunately, Jordan and I hang out so often that I ask all these ridiculous questions of him anyway. Um, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's true. <laughs> so I'll have to try to come up with one before uh, we we close up. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the other chapter that jumped out to me, and it's weird, I uh, felt a lot of it was the white acting brown girl. Uh, so I grew up in, in Los Angeles and uh, just a little, little north of LA, San Fernando Valley until I was about 12. And then the Santa Clarita Valencia area um, when I was a little older. I worked at ACU in San Bernardino County. Yeah. Oh, San Bernardino, delicious County. Oh, just so, so, so great. San Bernardino. This is how you can tell you're still white. Yeah. San Bernardino is uh, a delicious county. It's a bit of an armpit. It's, it's rough out there. Um, it's a, it's a dust bowl. Uh, you know, Not it's as just basically anymore. Oh, probably worse now. Climate change is real. Yeah. Uh, every time I go home, I'm home for like an hour and I get a nosebleed. It's so dry out there. It is. It uh, is. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. So, so yeah. So, you know, that, that type of kind of high desert area a little bit too. And, um, you know, so in elementary school, it was like me and two white kids and everybody else was Hispanic. And then I moved one more suburb kind of North and it was much more blended. Um, we had a few more black kids in class, a uh, lot more white kids, a um, lot more Asian kids, and still, you know, obviously a lot of Hispanics because SoCal is just that way. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is I just really felt reading that entire chapter is this is something that so many young people have to deal with, this identity issue of I want to be myself, but I also want to be accepted. And I remember the summer in between me moving from the San Fernando Valley and my elementary school uh, into going into seventh grade with a whole new group of students, people I've never met before. And that summer I spent in Arizona and the influence in Arizona in the country part of Arizona where my grandparents lived 
I spent time with a family who all they did was, you know, smoke cigarettes, uh, kill sheep to eat and listen to country music. Mm. So I came home just loving Garth Brooks and, you know, like mm. a country boy, even though that, <laughs> you know, I, I also grew up listening to Michael Jackson. So it was just, you know, you, you're so, you're so kind of uh, malleable when you're a child, like you mm-hmm. just kind of go different ways. So here I come in one day, made the biggest mistake of my life. And in seventh grade, with all of everyone who was in school was listening to hip hop. They were listening to Warren G and Snoop and Domino and all these different ones. And here I am and I wore a Garth Brooks t-shirt and good God, I was literally called Garth and Tex from people all the way until I graduated senior year. And meanwhile, the people who called me that, you know, now of course on Facebook, you see, you know, I went to the Kenny Chesney concert. And I'm like, oh yeah, nice. Okay. And uh, it, it just kind of hit home because I'm like, man, these are things that, it just brings up those insecure and those confusing times when you're trying to connect with people, yet you you also want to be yourself. And I, I couldn't even imagine putting the extra layer of racism or genderism on top of that. And so that that chapter um, was, was a good read for me because I, I could at least empathize with a lot of it. There are more girls that I've talked to since I've written the book that can relate to that chapter. Uh, I thought more girls were going to be able to relate to chapter two, but most of the girls, even though the uh, even though the audience that I wrote for the book for is adult, but the girls that have read the book have mostly said that they relate to that chapter the most. Insecurity is weird. I feel wow. like I feel like our society is kind of embracing that we're all insecure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Issa Rae has her show called Insecure. It's like insecurity. <laughs> yeah, it's more talked about. I think the fact that the last chapter isn't as talked about, it's talked about, but, you know, to, to struggle with your hair and your skin and things like that, it's, it's more of a conversation now that we're having. Whereas the last chapter, the girls are like, Oh my gosh, that's me. I can, I can you know, I don't know if it's talked about as much. Yeah. Well, and especially, I mean, I just think it's, it's so messed up the way our school system is right now where, you know, I was kind of struggling because we were told that, that my oldest uh, might be gifted. And they're like, so if he tests, into, you know, this program, he's going to go to this, this special school where the gifted kids go and they, they can learn and be, and I'm like, okay, so let me get this straight. We have funding for a special school mm-hmm. to help the people who have a leg up, get a leg up. <laughs> help me understand this. And, you know, in reading through that chapter, you talked about how, you know, the, the one young lady that you wrote about was in a predominantly black school. Uh, was accepted into a school that was more predominantly white. And that's when she really found, you know, the the struggle on both sides. Like she struggled in the one school, but now she went to the other school and it's like, wait, so now I'm too black? Like at first I'm too white, now I'm too black. What is going on? And I just think that if society would just do a better job of integrating, you know, the the different cultures and backgrounds and and you know societal norms that people would just do a better job of understanding. And I appreciate growing up where I did because, you know, it wasn't that polarizing of, of groups. There was, you know, 15 different groups in high school. You know, it wasn't like three groups mm-hmm. and everyone kind of, you know, almost like a, like on the yard in a prison where you're all just kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> clinging to the people who look like you for protection. Um, yeah. I think that's something that a lot of kids are, are struggling with. And I think we, as society, we just got to do better. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to completely shell shock the crap out of y'all with uh, the chapters because I think 
the most important one specifically is chapter two, Dag Nabbit. Um, <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> I, the reason why I feel that is so important is because we are dealing with a season of empathy development. Um, and, you know, you are an empath. So this is this is your expertise area here, young ma'am. I think that you are good at illustrating. So I will ask you specifically to illustrate how you feel it would be best uh, to explain the the necessity and then maybe at least just one good way um, that our people not of color can encourage and to help empower our insecure brown girls. All right. So how can they how can they encourage and empower? But what was the first one? The necessity? Oh, yeah. Just the necessity of it. Oh, because okay, I see. It's again, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it's hard because. So when you say that, what was the question? The white people <laughs> wonder. <laughs> white um, people, white folks wonder. Yeah, right, yeah. It's there funny go. because I just did a book talk for a Presbyterian church with about 35 all white, older, mostly women. Okay. Um, so I already got the white folk wonder the other day. <laughs> Plenty of it. Okay. Um, what was the worst question you got? Can I play with your hair? Okay. Hold that thought before I forget this thought. But hold that thought. Okay. Okay. I, I don't want to say worst question. It was the most interesting question. Um, and so one of the one of the things that we talked about, there was a woman that was a teacher and she wanted to know, um, you know, the 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 girls have a hard time trusting her and she works at a predominantly black school. She, she had a really hard time with that because she can see their, 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 their struggles. Didn't really know what to, didn't know what to do about it. So, you know, I don't, I, I do, I would love for non-black people to be, you know, to, to let's say they read this chapter, read the book and they're more aware of the struggles that these, that these girls have. But because you're aware doesn't mean you need to jump on it right away. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they don't need to be singled out. You know what I mean? Right. Like, oh, I yeah. know you struggle with your hair. There was another woman. <laughs> there was another woman, though, that as a result, that she, not as she was talking about um, one of the things that she does with her school. I think there's a she was teaching dance or something and they were getting ready to do like picture day. They were coming up with the outfits and the stockings were like nude or something. And so she. Mm. But she said she there were three young black girls in the class and she said, let's, you know, let, let's let's look through the catalog and see what, you know, um, what, what would you feel comfortable with? You know, and she anyway, she said the girls were so like this clung to her, you know, yeah. um, they were so relieved. And I was like, you know what, something that seems so little, you weren't pointing out, hey, your hair, you know, and she was like, how, how, how do you all want to wear your hair? You know, so it was like you you approach it, you approach them sensitively when the opportunity presents itself, you know, to to be more inclusive and 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 under, understanding, but in, inclusive. Um, right. But you didn't point them out like they were Sarah Bartman in a museum or something. Like that. Right. right. Yeah. Um, Good idea. And that's the way, you know, and until those opportunities present themselves, then you just sit back with the knowledge. You don't have to force it. Um, and that's, that's, that's what I'll say to that. That's kind of like when you are first married or in a relationship, like it takes you some time. You have to build that relationship before you start to understand 
somebody else's perspective or your understanding, oh, okay, I, I, I can kind of fortune tell a little bit how someone might respond to something. You just, you, instead of thinking about the entire world through your own lens, you're thinking about it through how might somebody else view this? And I think like young husbands are, are total idiots, right? They're just so dumb. Like I remember uh, talking with a friend in like my twenties and he's like, how come, uh, you know, every time you, you ask your wife uh, uh, if, if you can go golfing, she ends up saying yes. I said, because I only ask her uh, one fifth of the number of times you ask me to go. Because if I asked every single time, she'd be like, this is getting ridiculous. Where instead it's like, I need to view things through a, a different lens. I just, ha- I can't just, it can't just all be about me. And I think that that story that you're telling about ordering, even if something as simple as ordering tights, um, like I remember when the story came out uh, just recently that Band-Aid was releasing different uh, tones and people being like, this is so cool. That used to really kind of bother me in a way. It's almost, it's obviously probably more philosophical, but thinking about, hey, everyone hears clearly my wound because there's this giant Band-Aid that doesn't match me and you can see where all my pain is. <laughs> yeah, And Band-Aid clearly didn't mm. have anybody even remotely black on there. Oh no! Because oh, this no. is old. You don't say. Old. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you couldn't possibly have if just in 2020 you're just now coming around to that when all the right. different beauty companies are, you know, even 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 the the makeup lines have come right. around to the different shades, mm-hmm. um, right. and people love that. That's why Fenty Beauty did so well because Rihanna was yeah. like, there are different shades of everyone, and yeah. really, it, really, they took their time to address all of that. And that's really how it has to be with with these girls. It does take some time. It takes some building of trust, um, you know, if, if you're in relationship. But it takes just being considerate. That's all. Yeah. I think that uh, it's spot on. And, you know, the, the thing I love about your book is that it is so informationally rich. But what you discover as you continue to go through it is that it's really not super deep. Or the depth is found in the irony of its simplicity. Hmm. I sound so, I feel like I'm, I'm a real writer right now. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I applaud you for that because, again, you know, uh, I know this could not have been easy. Um, and at the same time, though, I think the, the main focus behind the fact that it wasn't easy was because it was made for such a time as this, you know. That is the title of my next book. See, oh. oh, look, I I prophesy. Isha. <laughs> oh, it's. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Here he goes. So we, that's, we're, we're that's confirmation. Tad Pentecostal yeah, over know. here. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she, um, she already came up with the title, so you didn't prophesy. You just guessed right. <laughs> I mean, it's a posthumous <laughs> prophecy. Those things are real. Okay. No, nah, they're not. Um, <laughs> Whatever but, you tell yourself. Yeah, yeah, I got to tell myself. You did something. like what those creepy guys do who say they talk to their your relative and they just took some clues and then oh they guess gosh. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, interrupting the moment. Um uh-huh. no. <laughs> but um you know, I we I just give you a real salute. Um but I just also want to say that you're not slick. Uh I do want to know that most interesting question uh <laughs> that you got mm-hmm. asked. What was it? What was it? It was, uh, wait a minute. It's on the tip of my tongue. It wasn't really a question, which is a comment. Uh, oh, boy. Or, oh, that's oh. even worse. That's, yeah, that's even worse. Um, <laughs> that sounds like white folks be telling, not white yeah. folks be wondering. <laughs> we were talking about microaggressions, and they really didn't get it. Mm-mm. 
They didn't Mm-mm. get what was wrong with touching someone's hair or, you know, we were talking about um, like some of the international students, we have a lot of international students, but then we have some just Asian American students here. And people are like, where are you from? And it's like, Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you know, like they don't, they don't. And so she didn't get that. I really, you know, what if I really, really want to know where they're from? I really, I really want to, I'm, I'm interested in her hair. You know, like it was, she was like really firm about it too. Um, mm. And I said, okay, I'm sure. Like she, she just didn't get why her intrigue. Why her intrigue wasn't more important. Right. Yeah. She didn't have a good heart <laughs> behind it. And so actually wind up being an interesting conversation. And then finally another woman, obviously a white woman, it was like, listen, when I'm pregnant, somebody just comes and puts their hand on my belly. I think, right. why do you think you can put your hand on my belly? And that's when Don't they got me. it. That's when right. they got it. Wow. And that's when the yeah. conversation got quiet. Yeah. Wow. And and you you have to find those analogies or examples that people can kind of tie it together. The, all this woman is talking about is terrible social norms. Like, <laughs> like for instance, if you see a guy, you know, at Target who is in a wheelchair and, he, and he's missing his left leg, do you run up to him and go, hey, how'd you lose that one, buddy? <laughs> right. like, no, no, it's just hey, not buddy. what you do in society. Like, what? Like, you don't do that? Your curiosity does not trump decency. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. she felt That'll like. That'll preach. Yeah. But she had to say, I don't know, but it was a very, uh, and she, I think she wouldn't have felt as comfortable had the room not been fully, room, Zoom room not been fully white. Um, oh, you don't think she asked that in a room full of 30 black women? <laughs> right, she would have been <laughs> quiet. But they felt pretty empowered and I wasn't um, confrontational intentionally. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I was, I was willing to, I told her, I told them all I was willing to be the teachable moment because that's why I wrote this book and this, this is, yeah. you're the audience. But I was like, but but every black person is not a teachable moment unless that's the situation is calling for that. <laughs> right, right. And right, right now right. the situation is calling for it. So we can talk no, about that. No, they are not. Yeah. No, yeah. that's true. And I think that's something that people need to be aware of. But there is kind of this when we're talking about people really being uh, awakened to what's going on. In a lot of ways, they're they're kind of in their infancy. And so they are going to ask questions that like mm-hmm. kids would ask because they don't, they're just now kind of aware of what's going on. And so that whole kind of there, there are no bad questions type thing. You, you, you kind of do have to, you know, set an expectation where, okay, people might say some stupid things. Oh yeah. And so, you know, I literally uh, just had that conversation with a yeah. member the other day um, and was like, you know, cause she's like, I'm going to mess up. I don't know, you know, because of all this stuff that's happening. And I just said, look, that's what's going to happen this year. You, you need to go into the year knowing you're going to F up. It's going to be some mistakes. And the students need <laughs> right. to know that. They Come need on to now. hear that from you. So right. That's what it's all about. It's not about being perfect. Right. It never has been about being perfect. It's about being willing to make the effort and mistakes and all to get to a point where you can be. Yeah. Huh? You know. Um, and if it does start a relationship first, it, it makes such a big difference. Because mm-hmm. as I've developed these these deeper relationships with people who don't have the same background as me or the same, you know, skin color as I do, uh, you, you learn the answer to a lot of the stupid questions that you have without even asking them. Right. Because you've, you've now engaged with people the same way you would learn about other people without having to ask crazy questions Mm. because you've actually spent time as opposed to just kind of treating them the way that, uh, they treated, uh, what was her name? Bartman. 
like mm-hmm. it's this curiosity thing. Like, why does that make it okay? So yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, Devin has uh, an unnecessary and and wrong question because I probably can't ask it. Um, well, that's the whole point of white folks wonder is that it's something that a white folk needs to ask. And <laughs> so oh, I, I did come up with, and I try to make them borderline ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So, you know, chapter six, the angry brown girl. So can we say that that stereotype of like the angry black woman, basically the white version of that is, is Karen's? <laughs> hmm. Because I was thinking, I, and I literally wrote that question down. What about the Karens? Because no, I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, we, we can't just dismiss them as being, I mean, we can dismiss them as being lunatics. But at the same time, it's not to say that there wasn't some, some traumatic experience or something, some pain. That, obviously, there's pain in their life that's causing them to react in a way that's just totally insane. Um, and, and that's those moments where, I have all these empathy for these young girls struggling with all this stuff, but good Lord, I have no empathy for Karen. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, if I have the empathy for the one, Jesus would probably want me to have the empathy for the other, but uh-huh. gosh, it's so much harder. <laughs> you want me to answer that? I do. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Uh, okay. So like if we're using Jesus. Please do, because that's that's and, necessary right now. <laughs> because that's like saying, I mean, this is not like this is this is not the same. I'm not paralleling this. I'm just talking out loud. Yeah. Uh why didn't Jesus have empathy for the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Right. Yep. Exactly. Because this empathy yeah. Ooh, did not extend the same way to every audience. Right. Yep. Um, it's not to say that they weren't um without redemption, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but right. they came with a more hardened heart and he was always concerned about the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is my minister chaplain person kicking in, right? This is like You better do that. Yeah. I mean, that's what you that's what um, you do anyway. Remember, <laughs> remind them. Job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the first business card. <laughs> <laughs> like I hired um, so um so as a result, Karen's are not the woman with the issue of blood, Karen, they're right. not necessary. I mean, just using that as, I'm not saying white women, I'm talking about Karen, uh, are not sure. necessarily, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. I mean, if I was using yeah, the, so the they're somewhat here, synonymous. Right? No, if no, I'm trying to find, no, no, I said if somewhat. I, so you going to say that about your find, wife, bro. <laughs> no, God, no. If I'm trying to find parallels in scripture, not the, the, the woman, uh, who we, who we, they assume was Mary Magdalene, but the woman who were going to, stones were going to, Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. Martha, the stones were being thrown at her. And, you know, I think, um, so I think the hardened heart, yeah, I, I, I think those are the, how Jesus extended empathy differed across, across those boards. So it's not yeah. to say that you don't understand where right. these Karen people are necessarily coming from, um, but it's a different type of context and it's not systemic. Racism yeah. is yeah. systemic. Right. Yeah. Um, right. But the things that these these black women and girls had to grow up in, are growing up in like within the DNA of this country, yep. has has been uh, you know innately against their existence. That hasn't right. been the mm-hmm. case for white women. They've benefited right. from the system. Karens. So they're <laughs> <laughs> for Karens. So their anger 
co- doesn't come from like it's not rooted in the same way that right. sure uh, that these that these young black women and girls where it's coming from now. So you have to come at them or come um, like differently, I guess, mm-hmm. um, like responding differently. So a Karen, a Karen for me, <laughs> um, like the woman that was choking her dog, you know, I'm like a big dog person. So that woman oh like a- alone, remember that one, uh, the one in yeah. New York? Yeah. The dog in, was in choking. I was ready to yeah. like, I was calling ASPCA and everybody was calling the cops. <laughs> um, <laughs> and on her. And, um, and so I think some of them need to be dealt with in, in order to get to the crux of what's happening in here. Mm-hmm. They have to be dealt with hardcore. That's the only way they're going to see the error of their ways. Not all yeah. of them, but that woman, the only way she was going to see it is that she, if there was consequence behind it, right? It's yeah, if, that's true. Um, you know what I mean? Is There were consequences to her actions. It's like going and visiting somebody behind bars and saying, you know, we put you behind here, but do you see what, do you see where, yeah. where you, you need it to be here in order for this to happen? Right. Like, mm-hmm. so let's let the redemption and the, and the rehabilitation take place, but the consequence had to happen first. It's not that that's not the way that you deal with black women and girls from the, mm. the anger standpoint, yeah. because it's, it's different. It's a different approach. It's a great answer. And I, you know, these are the things I like to to think about because you, I get so many people in my life who have that type of viewpoint. Well, why am I not justified in my anger? You know, and why am I not allowed to behave this way? And it really, it it kind of mirrors the, well, all lives matter. Right. You know, and it's like, well, <laughs> I get what you're saying, but at the same time, and I think to kind of put it in a, a, a tidy sentence, it would be the way Karen's behaved is a result of entitlement. Right, it's coming from privilege. And the anger that's coming from these minority girls is the lack of title in general. Right, mm-hmm. one comes from privilege, yeah. one anger yeah. comes from privilege, one anger comes from marginalization. Yeah, so, I mean, that, and right away, that's kind of that, that moment of, uh, oh yeah, you shouldn't touch a pregnant woman. Oh, I see why now, why there's the difference there. And, uh, you know, I think those mm-hmm. are the conversations that even though, um, you know, I, I'm, Purposely trying to make these questions silly. <laughs> They're fun. They're fun to have. It's an essay, essay written. But the, and there are questions being asked, you know, because people are trying to understand. And uh, yeah, thank you for answering that one. Yeah, so. yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and yeah, thank you. That's I'm so glad that you used Jesus because God knows I don't mind emails, but I really didn't want that one. Um, so yeah, I but I I, I will say I, I agree 100. percent Um. I do believe that even in a, a sense, people keep forgetting that, you know, they they almost feel like it's punishment or condemnation. I strongly believe that it's God's grace. Um, I believe that it's God's grace in all of these situations, um, even when it feels like it could be the quote unquote worst of the worst, uh, because we deserve a fate worse than death. And uh, folks don't keep that on the table. I, I know when I wake up every morning, should have been dead. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Um, you know, and, and I treat every day like that. Uh, and I think that we in our individualistic um, environmentally, what did I say? I forgot it already, whatever. Um, but, you know, in, in our environments where we have uh, kind of developed ourselves in these echo chambers and strengthen ourselves on these certainties, uh, because we can't be uncertain, Lord forgive, you know, even though that's what the basis of faith is really all about. We're not going to have that conversation. Um, you know, if if we are to 
really give ourselves practical application in God's grace, then it causes us to at least want to diminish the part of ourselves that would have that anger issue. Um, and you know, the, the one part that people don't want to hear and by people in this case, I mean, black folk is, you know, we have to begin working on forgiveness, you know? And I mean, I did a whole series on forgiveness. So I, I know exactly not what I'm saying, like I got it all, but I do know that, you know, when Christ was on that cross and he looked up into the heavens and said, forgive them father, for they know not what they do. He never, ever looked at the crowd and said, I forgive you, which is a problem because if we are WWJD and right there, that means that our forgiveness has nothing to do with these white folk. We color people. It has everything to do with us releasing everything that they've done to us, which could help the process of reconciliation. Now, no, there still needs to be justice. There still needs to be a process of conciliation and restoration in the natural. But one thing I know about me is... Uh, the most com the most racist whomever can walk up to my face tomorrow, call me the N-word, spit in my face, maybe even try and slap me. Don't go that far because that may not end well. But, you know, I mean, they could do just about anything. And I might be ticked off for a second, but I'm not letting that break my day. I just can't because my God is too good and my purpose and my call are a lot more important than me having to deal with somebody who has adapted vapid idiocy. <laughs> Nailed yes, it. Yes, got it in there. Your, um, your favorite saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I keep that understanding with me. Um, and I know I just kind of rabbit trail, but, you know, and, and, and the second thing is also, um, I, I, I actually talked about a tweet that I put out yesterday uh, pertaining to the understanding of, of Jesus specifically dealing with the Pharisees. And it kind of speaks directly to the heart of what you were saying, because I said that he argued with the Pharisees, he argued with the Sadducees, he argued with the Essenes. But the reason why wasn't to prove that he was right, even though we know he was right, it was simply because he loved him and for no other reason. And we have to do the same thing. And so, yeah, kind of speaking to the Karens of the world, yeah, they, they need to understand that there is more than their little world that they need to explore to gather that understanding, to develop that empathy and eventually to become that ally that we need. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I love that you answered that question that way. I, I came off my rabbit trail. I'm, I'm really proud of me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we, Lord, it's been, wow, this has been fun. Uh, and and I, I ain't trying to keep it because I'm pretty sure you got 8 million things that you need to do. Uh, uh, if there's anything that you are telling America today, what are you telling them? Pay attention to black women and girls. Come on now. I love buy, buy the book. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So where can we find you and where can we buy the book? You can buy Parable of the Brown Girl at your local Barnes & Noble if you wear a mm -hmm. mask. Um, Amen. Or if you Amen. decide to get it online, you can um, go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, or you can just Google and it'll come up. I mean, you can order it from Target. There's a few distributors you can find me on um, Instagram at Christy Adams and on Twitter at Christy Lauren or uh, just my website, ChristyLaurenAdams.com. Very, cool. very cool. And I want to know how I can take your class virtually. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? In a normal, we'll all have, we'll have masks on because I got to teach the mask on. It, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> find a way to like kind of sneak you yeah. in there. I'll send you the films. I'll send you the full film list. Uh, please send me the list. That would be amazing, actually. I would love that. 
Yeah. He's so dope. Christy Lauren Adams, thank you so very much for thank coming you. on and hanging out with us. And uh, hopefully this isn't the, the the last time we get a chance to chat with you. No, hopefully we'll talk when I, when the second book comes out. That's I right. Know, I was about to say, hey, look, man, before the second book, dock on that. This is this has been funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so very much. We appreciate you. And uh, Dev, you got anything else? No, I just, uh, thanks for coming on and I look forward to getting that list and, and reading more books. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely read more books. Everybody should read more books, especially on us beautiful brown and black people. Anyway, uh, thank you once again for tuning in to the latest and greatest episode of Eye to Eye. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe on your favorite platform. And please don't forget to be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does. I'm Jordan. I am Devin. And we will check you out next time, people. Peace. Wear your mask. Yeah, yeah. Wash your hands. <laughs> Peace. you love us and want us to be successful as we do you thank you once again for rocking with us and remember be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does <laughs>